So are you a wise guy or are you wise? There's kind of a difference between those two things, right? (laughs) The measure of true wisdom, that's what we look at this morning from James chapter 3. And we read verses 13 through 18. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that you would enlighten us today to understand what the measure of true wisdom is. Open your word to us today. Guide us into your truth. We believe your word is everlasting truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you consider yourself to be wise? I've got a little test that I can give you. It's a test I actually gave in a message many years ago. So if it rings a bell with some of you, that's okay. Some of you I know were not here then. It's a a test of Norwegian medical terminology. There's only 10 of the many items I'm going to mention. So you, when I say the word, you think of a definition in your mind, and I'll tell you what the real definition is. Okay, an artery. If you thought the study of paintings, then you are correct. Uh, barium. That's what you do when CPR fails. Coma. That's a punctuation mark. Dilate means to live long. Uh, Fester is quicker. A nitrate is lower than the day rate. Node, that means you were aware of something. Outpatient is a person who has fainted. Uh, Protein is... To be in favor of young people. And varicose veins are veins which are very close together. So how many of you got all ten of those? <laughs> um, if you didn't get these right, please don't worry. After all, true wisdom does not come from Norway. Nor does it come from any other place in the world, right? Because true wisdom comes from where? Comes from above. True wisdom comes from God. And that's the kind of wisdom that we need to function in this world today. We need the wisdom that God alone can give us. And so we look at this passage of Scripture, 
And I'd suggest to you that James gives us three characteristics of true wisdom. First of all, true wisdom is practical. It is very practical. According to Greek thinking in the first century, wisdom was viewed primarily as a function of the mind. It was an intellectual focus based on human reasoning. And Richard Lenski writes this, he says, Having no Bible, the Greeks were left to their own thoughts and their own reasoning. They tried to attain wisdom in the way of rational explanation. They demanded principles, chains of reasoning, and systems of philosophy. And as you can well imagine, if something did not fit with their rational understanding of things, it was rejected. And I'll give you a good example of that when Paul was actually in Greece, in Athens, Acts chapter 17. Uh, Here's what he told the Greeks that were there that day. He says, God is now declaring to men, all all people everywhere, that they should repent. Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Resurrection. What was the Greek response to that? Luke tells us, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, they began to sneer. Why? Dead people don't come to life. That doesn't make sense intellectually. It doesn't fit with human reasoning. And so they rejected such a foolish idea that someone who died would actually come to life. Give you another example from second or yes, First Corinthians chapter one, where Paul says, For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews ask for signs, and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To Jews, a stumbling block, and to Greeks, foolishness. This idea that believing in Jesus is going to save you, it's going to give you eternal life, you're going to be raised from the dead, how foolish could that be? That's how the Greeks viewed resurrection and salvation. If they couldn't reason it out in their mind, they simply rejected it. According to Hebrew thinking, Hebrew thinking that is based upon God's word, wisdom was viewed very, very differently. It wasn't viewed as something philosophical or intellectual, but something very practical. In other words, true wisdom, if you have true wisdom, it will be evident in your life. It will be seen in the way But you live. Notice verse 13, how our text begins. James says, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show, so it's something visible, let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. So there's the answer. Who is wise? It is going to be seen in the way that you live. It will be obvious to others 
that here is a person who has divine, godly wisdom. We see this definition of wisdom Deuteronomy chapter 4 in a message that Moses preached to the people of Israel. In verse 5 he says, See, I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do this in the land where you are entering to possess it. So he said, Keep and do them, for that is your wisdom and your understanding. In the sight of the people's, who will hear all these statutes, and they will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. So there it is. True wisdom is visible to those around you. It will be seen in the way that you live. It's not just an intellectual, human, philosophical reasoning. True wisdom will be evident in our lives. I remember sitting in some of the psychology classes I took in college. Ooh, it was a long time ago. Not just decades ago. It was in a different century. It was in a different millennium, actually, when I was going to college. And there were all these educated professors with their degrees behind their name. But they didn't understand one of the basic truths of script, Scripture about human nature. They didn't believe that we needed a Savior because man is, is basically good. Just educate him and, and he'll be fine. This whole idea of being born in sin and we have a sinful nature that is prone to evil. Ah! I remember sitting in class and saying, do any of you have children? Have you not seen in children that there is such a thing as a sinful nature? We are bro- born with that and That's why we live the way we do. And and so they just couldn't grasp that. Man is basically good. He might steal and kill and murder, but really, he's basically good. Just educate him and he'll be just, just fine. And then I think of people I've met over the years who weren't the most educated people you've ever met. But they knew Jesus. And they had a wisdom that was rooted in Scripture and transform the way that they live. I think of my grandfather. He had just a few years of schooling. And he had a wisdom that was evident in his life. He had no doctor's degree behind his name, no master's degrees, no bachelor's degrees, nothing. But he had the wisdom from above. And it made a difference in the way that he lived. So when people say that you are wise as they see how you live, Do you take the principles of God's Word and apply them to your life? True wisdom is practical. It is seen in the way that we live. The second thing James tells us is that true wisdom is humble. Verse 13 says, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. Think of that phrase, the gentleness of wisdom. The the word gentleness here is is one of those words that can be translated in in various ways. In chapter 1, verse 21 of James, it's translated humility. Remember that verse, in humility receive the word which is able to save your souls. In several places, it's translated with the word meekness. 
meekness. What comes to your mind when you hear the word meekness? In Greek culture, meekness or gentleness or humility was not considered to be a positive thing. In fact, meekness was like synonymous with weakness. That's kind of how they viewed it. If you are a gentle, humble, meek person, that is a sign of weakness. Well, if so, then Jesus was weak because he describes himself as gentle, humble, meek. Same word that James uses here. And we certainly know that Jesus was not weak. Many Bible scholars have suggested that this word translated meekness or gentleness is strength under control. And many of the commentators that I read looking at this word use that phrase, that that, that gentleness, meekness is strength that is under control. I love how Douglas Moo describes the foundation of meekness. He says, Christian meekness involves a healthy understanding of our own unworthiness before God, and a corresponding humility and lack of pride in our dealings with fellow men. In other words, when we humble ourselves before God, it isn't a problem to humble ourselves before others, because it flows out of that relationship with God. The gentleness of wisdom. Now, if you look at what James says in verses 14 and 15, you see how radically different that gentleness of wisdom is compared to the so-called wisdom of the world. Notice the wisdom of the world, verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but it is earthly, natural, demonic, James says. So he says there's two kinds of wisdom. There's the wisdom from above and the wisdom of the world, and James says they are so different, so different. Bitter jealousy is part of the so-called wisdom of the world. And it is a very deep-seated type of jealousy because it makes the jealous person bitter. And when a person is bitter, they end up taking their bitterness out upon others. Because jealousy is one of those sins that almost always leads to other sins, doesn't it? Look at verse 16. For where jealousy... And selfish ambition exists. There is what? Disorder and every evil thing. Jealousy leads to every evil thing, James says. Go to chapter 4, verse 1. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source of your, ple- the source of your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious or jealous and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. So jealousy 
It, it can really be a serious thing because it, it, is, it is dangerous. It leads to fighting. It leads to quarreling. It even leads to murder, doesn't it? First death in the Bible, Cain, jealous of his brother Abel. And jealousy shows up pretty early in life, even amongst little children, right? An older lady told me once that she didn't have a doll. They were so poor. And one of the neighbors had this doll that she was so jealous of her. And she discovered that there is two kinds of jealousy. One is, I wish I had what you had. And then there's a deeper jealousy that says, I wish you didn't have what you have. And she had that kind of jealousy, young little girl. She stole her friend's doll, lit it on fire, and threw it in the outhouse. (laughs) That's jealousy, right? It's amazing what jealousy does to people. That's the wisdom of the world, bitter jealousy. And then James also says that the wisdom of the world is is characterized by selfish ambition. And that word describes the the self-centered person who goes through life asking, what's in it for me? Or how can I manipulate things to get what I want? How can I use other people to fulfill my desires? And these kind of people are so inwardly focused, it's difficult to be around them. Especially when they don't get their way. Met anybody like that? Don't mention names, but you've probably seen people like that. How opposite that is of the gentleness of, of wisdom. And notice James is, is, is pretty blunt when he talks about the source of this worldly wisdom. He says this wisdom is it's not that which comes down from above, but it is earthly natural, and demonic. Now those three should ring a bell in our minds because those are the three enemies of our soul, right? The world, our flesh, and the devil. And what does James say here? That this wisdom is earthly of the world, It is natural of the flesh, and it is demonic. It is of the devil. Pretty blunt. That's the kind of wisdom we ought to avoid. It's interesting that James describes the wisdom of the world as demonic. Because if you look at the activity of Satan... He fits to a T the false wisdom that James describes in verse 14. Bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, that's what led to his fall, right? He was jealous of God's power, God's authority. He had selfish ambition, wanting to be like God. So he rebelled against God. He was arrogant was not satisfied with his position. And when he fell, he took angels with him. And when he tempted Adam and Eve, isn't it interesting he tempted them in the same way that he fell? 
He tempted them to be jealous of God's knowledge. He doesn't want you to know these things. He tempted them to be like God, selfish ambition, and it was all based on a lie, wasn't it? And yet Adam and Eve believed that lie. They experienced then in their lives the destructive power of, of sin. And so when we are jealous and selfish and arrogant, we are following whose desires? The desires of the evil one. You see why it's foolish to live by the wisdom of the world? It's the pathway of pride and it leads to destruction. James says that's not the kind of wisdom you need. You need the wisdom from above. That which is gentle and humble and meek. The third thing James says then is that true wisdom is peaceable. At the end of the text here, he describes the spiritual qualities of wisdom that produce peace. Verse 17, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace, by those who make peace. Now James, James was a man who, who knows what he's talking about when he talks about those who make peace. Because if you read about his life in the book of Acts, you'll see that he was a peacemaker. I'll give you an example. In Acts chapter 15, remember that there was a, an issue of, of circumcision and Paul and and Barnabas went to the elders in Jerusalem in order to get that issue resolved. And after there had been all kinds of debate, then James, in his Bible-based counsel, preserved really the unity of the church. And so J.A. Mottier, I think is how you pronounce his name, said, the James of Acts 15 was preeminently the peacemaker. There was much that tended toward division and disharmony. But James labored to keep the opposed causes together in Christ. It is the same spirit which breathes through this passage with its hatred of all that divides and its evident delight in all that unites. So when James talks about peace, that's the way he lived. That's how he conducted his life. And so he describes then the things that will make for peace. In contrast to bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, James says the wisdom from above is pure. In other words, there's, there's the, an absence of any selfish attitude or, or motive. The wisdom from above is, is peaceable, which, which means that it never starts or continues in strife or dissension. And so the goal in, in every relationship is peace. And if there's reconciliation that is needed, the peaceable person is seeking to accomplish that. Romans twelve eighteen. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. James says the wisdom from above is gentle. The word carries the idea of being willing to yield to others. Willing to yield instead of insisting on our own rights. 
The wisdom from above is reasonable or, or literally easily persuaded. Not in the sense of, of, of something that's contrary to Scripture, but willing to listen, willing to change your mind if you were wrong. How uh, uncommon is that today? I've made up my mind. Don't confuse me with the facts, right? I mean, there's so many people that, that just have made up their mind about something. They're not open to anything. They're not, they're not easily persuaded. They're not reasonable. So, so all of these, these qualities that, that James gives us here relates in some way to being peaceable, full of mercy and good fruits. You know what? It's hard to fight with a person like the one James describes in our text. How do you fight with someone who's humble? How do you fight with someone who's peaceful? How do you fight with someone who's gentle and reasonable? These people promote peace, not disorder, and they are a joy to know, aren't they? People who, who are gentle and humble, those are the kind of people you just love to be around. That's the kind of person you want for a neighbor, right? Or a co-worker. How about a spouse, huh? If you can't get along with people like these, you know, I tell you, you got problems. <laughs> you got problems. I read a story about a boy who asked his dad, how do wars begin? And the father replied, well, World War I began because Germany invaded Belgium. At this point, his wife interrupted. She said, tell the boy the truth. It began because someone was murdered. And the husband quickly retorted, are you answering the question or am I? So the wife stormed out of the room, slammed the door as hard as she could. And there was just this period of silence and this little boy just, you know, mouth open. And he said, dad, you don't need to tell me how wars begin. He said, I know. <laughs> He just saw it, right? There was not wisdom there. That was all the characteristics of the wisdom that is n not from above. Yeah, no, I know. I've actually seen it, Dad. Here, here's, how, here's how wars begin. So what kind of a relationship do you have with other people? Are you easy to get along with? Is the practical, humble, peaceful fruit of wisdom seen in your life? Wisdom isn't measured by how much you know, but by how well you live. It isn't determined by how smart you are, but how humble you are. It isn't seen in looking out for yourself, but looking out for others. And it only comes... From God. Doesn't that make you want to be wise? Wise in accordance with what the scripture says. Lord, make me gentle. Make me humble. Make me peaceful. Make me one who unites rather than divides. If you want to be wise, I've got some good news for you. God wants you to be wise too. But you need to realize that that wisdom comes only from Him. 
You want to be wise? You need to fear the Lord. Proverbs 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. If you want to be wise, you need to get down on your knees and ask God to give you wisdom, right? James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, ask of God, and He will give it to you. He will pour it out upon you. That was Solomon's prayer. We read from 2 Chronicles chapter 1. What did he say? Give me now wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people for who can rule this great people of yours? God, I need the wisdom that only you give. And if you want to be wise, you need to spend time in God's word. Psalm 19.7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect. Restoring the soul, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. If there was ever a time in history when we need wisdom, it is now, isn't it? It is now. God, give us wisdom. Help us to be wise and in accordance with the truth of your word. And, and may it be seen in the way that we live. But people will know that we love the Lord. We love His Word. We love His people. We love those who are are lost in sin. God, give us wisdom. Not this intellectual human reasoning, but that gentleness of wisdom that is evident in the way that we live. Let's pray. Father, give us Your wisdom. The wisdom that comes from above, the wisdom that is meek and humble and gentle and, and practical and evident in the way that we live. May it be a testimony to those around us that you are working in our lives, that you are making us wise in accordance with the truth of your word. And may that cause others to want to know what it is that makes us different. We can point them to Jesus, to the truth of his word. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.